I'm Rodney Carmichael, and on this episode of Louder Than a Riot, did bias against rap lyrics seal the fate of No Limits Mac Phipps? This guy should be incarcerated, and I know that his music got him incarcerated, but they got the wrong guy. Listen now to the Louder Than a Riot podcast from NPR Music. Please make sure to join my colleagues Sidney Madden and Rodney Carmichael and download Louder Than a Riot from wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Felix Contreras. This week's Alt Latino podcast is an encore edition while I take some time off. You're going to hear a deep dive into the history of cumbia and why it's so much fun to dance. I hope you enjoy it. That is the sound of my youth. No, that's the sound of my youth. It's the sound of my youth. Well, it's it's a testament to how enduring cumbia music has been throughout Latin America. That that's the sound of your youth in California and 70 years later. <laughs> I don't think so. It's the sound of my youth in Argentina. You know, it's the sound it's the sound of my parents' music. It's the sound it's like, like 1960s cumbia from Mexico. That's what this is. This is Cumbia del Sol and this particular song was like at every house party, every wedding, any time there were more than 3 Chicanos to get together, this song came on. This is cumbia music. Cumbia is the musical backbone of Latin America. It doesn't matter where you go. I mean, in the U.S., everyone knows about salsa, merengue, maybe, bachata. Forget about that. Everywhere you go (laughs) in Latin America, from Tierra del Fuego, the tip of Argentina, probably, you know, in the North Pole, some... Some Mexicans. (laughs) Some Chicano snowmen in the North Pole. They dance cumbia. And today we're going to talk about why that is. Why cumbia is really the first pan-Latin party music. Yeah. And and our guide today is Eduardo Diaz, who's the director of the Smithsonian Latino Center here in Washington, D.C. Eduardo, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Felix and Jasmine. Thank you so much. And we want to talk a little bit more about the Latino Center and your connection to it. We're going to talk about that later. We want to hear more of this cumbia del sol, and then we're going to talk about where this music comes from and how it got to Mexico and Argentina and Sacramento and And how it endured through generations. Eduardo, that song in particular brings back a lot of memories, like I said, because it's just it was just everywhere when, when I was growing up. Well, that song by Carmen Rivero comes out in 1964, and it's on an album entitled A Bailar Cumbia. And Cumbia del Sol is one of four or five hits that became very pervasive. La Cartagenera, Cumbia de la Medianoche. Oh, I like that too. 
uh, La Polla La Pollera Colorada, which is probably of equal, <laughs> you know, the, the red skirt. Yeah, and then you know, um, Cumbia Que Te Vas de Ronda, which is kind of a you know a tribute to Agustin Lara, the great Mexican composer. So when she cuts that album in '64, you know, it just it really starts the ball rolling and begins the process of the of the conquest of the of the cumbia in, in Latin America, <laughs> wherever Mexicans are for sure. But then, of course, you know, we know all about the way in which cumbia has proliferated all over the place. Well, so so you're saying cumbia started in Mexico, because I've heard a lot of versions, including that it started in Colombia, in no. Peru. The cumbia starts in Colombia. The cumbia is uh, original music from uh, from the northern, la parte costeña, so the coastal regions of, of Colombia, and it begins with a small band that's composed of two flutes called gaitas. And so what you have is the tambora, which is a two-headed drum played with a stick and, and a hand slap. You have the tambora alegre, the seguidor, maracas. That is the beginning of the cumbia. The gaita is the origins of the cumbia. Then it becomes orchestrated, and we heard a perfect example of that at the introduction in the introduction of the show, which is Carmen Rivero. Let's go back a little bit and talk about the uh, origins of it, because it, it does have origins in this in the slave trade, as it resulted in in Colombia. And y y when we were talking about this beforehand, you had something that really shocked me about the t little two step. You're always teasing me about my dancing and no, whether, your lack or my lack of dancing <laughs> skills. Correct. <laughs> But the cumbia is easy to dance because it's got a nice little two-step, a small little two-step. But tell me, tell us about how that step originated. Well, sure. You know, the cumbia, its origination is African, in, rhythmically speaking, although it does have instrumentation that is um, uh, European and indigenous in nature, but the foundation is African. And we know that the slaves were shackled, right, at, at their feet. And so for them to be able to dance this music their leg motion, the motion of their feet, was limited by the shackle. So that's why you have in the original cumbia this sort of sidestep with the one foot and then the right foot. If you move the left foot first, catches up with it, but you don't move very far. That's why when you see in the original cumbia, the men are barely moving their feet. It's a real short shuffle step. The reason it's a short shuffle step in the same way with the women is because they couldn't move any further. Tenían los grietes, they had the, they had the shackles on their feet. So it is from that point that the, the, the cumbia, original cumbia dance, uh, begins from that, from that sort of slave legacy, if you will. I was able to find, thanks to the Smithsonian, Smithsonian Folkways record, we're going to hear some roots cumbia. This is from a, a group called Los Gaiteros de San Jacinto. They're from Colombia. This is a track called Fuego de Cumbia. Oh, my God, that's a great one. <laughs> And what we're going to listen for is what Eduardo was talking about, the drums, the chanting, and the gaitas. You can hear it all on this track. Right? Hey! Yes, those 
we've been talking about cumbia. But if a listener is like, okay, how do I d- identify cumbia? What's the, the beat? Is It's the one, two. And listen to the on the maracas or the or the huacharaca or the huido. The scratcher. It's a scratcher. Yeah. And that keeps the rhythm going. And the drums, like we talked yeah. about, the alegre drum, which we saw in Colombia when we were visiting right. there. Yeah. And they're like djembe-type African drums. They each have a different uh, role. And the tambora is sort of like the bass drum picking up the bass line, the tumbao. come from well I was afraid you were going to ask me that I, you know I um, I think it, it could be a, a Kikongo word or it could be a Bantu word these are two primary languages that were spoken by slaves from Western Africa that were brought in part Kikongo and Bantu are, are very are very much related so you have words like for example in Mexico like chamba fandangos another word pamba la bamba 
And then I think, so I think, you know, tango, I mean, I think you have these words that are uh, kikongo or bantu in nature. I would su suspect that cumbia is from one of those two languages. What it means, I'm not sure. It's certainly, as with other parts of the Caribbean and, this, and you know, the so-called New World, it's all from West Africa because that's where all the slaves uh, came from that were brought to this part of the world. They're all from West Africa. And, and of course, and, and, and then in other countries like in Cuba, the whole Santeria, the Abaqua religion, that's all West African as well. If you look at its roots, it's from the slave period, so it's pretty old, right? It, it, it becomes modernized, obviously, until what we have today, Tecnocumbia, you know, El Sonidero, Cumbia Villera from Argentina, the Cumbia Chicha, and all these other subgenres, these derivatives of the original the Cumbia come later, much later. Right. Well, even an introduction of Cumbia in Mexico back, goes back to the 1940s. So that's where you start seeing sort of the more orchestrated form of, of, of Cumbia. But it's, it's when, when it goes to Mexico, then it collides with what is they're called Musica Tropical. So you have the collision, if you will, of cumbia with Cuban music. So Montuno, Huabanco, Danzón. And then you have the introduction of horns, saxes, clarinets, uh, trumpets. You have the introduction of the conga, the timbal, and other forms of percussion that did not exist in the original cumbia. And it all coincided with, uh, like, like you said, 1940s, the Época de Oro from Mexico, with the film, the music, all of that stuff collided, like you said. And then in the 50s and the 60s, back in Colombia, there was a label. Jasmine, remember when we were in Colombia, we went to the record label Discos Fuentes? Yes. And we went to their original building and saw a lot of their original recording equipment. Discos Fuentes was the label in, for cumbia in Colombia in the 50s and the 60s. And we're going to play a track that I found. This is something called Rito Esclavo, and it's by an artist by the name of Pedro Laza. You know what's interesting about this is he still got the tambora. That's not a timbal. Right. That's a tambora. Clarinet. Mm -hmm. And you have the horns. Big band sound. Yeah.
So I have a, a question. When it came out, was it seen a lot of these genres, like, for example, bachata. When mm -hmm. bachata starts, it's bachata roja and it's very forbidden. It's very erotic. Mm -hmm. The dance style, the lyrical content to the point that um, the dictator Trujillo bans it Correct. from radio. Did something like that happen with cumbia? I think it was considered working class. There's a real strong correlation. The whole issue of class with cumbia is very, very clear for me. It's very direct. The popular classes gravitate towards cumbia, and so the elite classes are going to defame it. Even today? I don't think so much today. Cumbia has just ridden over all kinds of barriers, any kind of class issues. I don't think that's an issue anymore. At the beginning, I do think that it was. I think it's a very clear, it's a very close correlation in the beginning between social class and acceptance um, and the popularization of, of cumbia. But now I think it crosses all classes. I don't think it matters anymore. You know, there was a period after the Second World War uh, with uh, Mexican music here in the United States where these soldiers, these Chicano soldiers were coming from Texas, from California, from Arizona, and going to the uh, fight in, in the wars. But then getting exposed to African-American music, African-American jazz, um, the instrumentation. So then they came back to the Southwest and started adding saxophones and horns into basically conjunto music, the Tejano music with the accordions. And that's what happened with a lot of the cumbia. That's why you hear some of these big band arrangements because it can almost be mm -hmm. Count Basie-like in a way. So that's what, that from that era is basically our parents. We're more or less the same age and that's our parents' era music. That's what they grew up listening to. That was their that was their hip sound. That's what that's what they were cool with. And then we get it down to the baby boomer generation, and it gets filtered down. And, you know, no one really did anything in the mass culture with cumbia until Los Lobos. And Selena. Selena later. Mm -hmm. But uh, And I brought in a track from Los Lobos so you can hear the way they do it. Because they, they've been incorporating cumbia into their concerts. You know, they're celebrating their 40th anniversary. So that from the beginning, from when I first started seeing them, they do it on record just a little bit. And it was hard to find a recorded version of them doing cumbia, but I did find one from their album called Good Morning Atzlan. This one's called Maria Cristina. One, two, one, two, three. El mambo, esto no puedo negar, pero yo prefiero cumbia, es lo mejor para gozar. También le gusta la salsa, guarachar es sabroso. Este ritmo colombiano me inspira más el corazón. Es que le gusta gozar, María Cristina bailar, ella le Pasar mi vida con María por mi lado, disfrutando cumbia rica con mi güerita bailando. Es que le gusta gozar, María Cristina bailar, ella le gusta. 
pasar mi vida con María por mi lado, disfrutando cumbia rica con mi güerita bailando. María le gusta el mambo, esto no puedo negar, pero yo prefiero cumbia, es lo mejor para gozar. Es que le gusta gozar, María Cristina bailar, ella le gusta soñar. You know, we've talked about this on the show about how uh, for Chicanos in the Southwest uh, during the 70s, the, the, to be more progressive was to listen to the to Fania, to listen to salsa, to listen to Afro-Caribbean. Conjunto and cumbia really wasn't, wasn't was part like of the deal. It was like your parents' music. Exactly. It was kind of square. It was kind of hokey. These guys, they just reinvented it for us in a lot of ways. We all knew the music. I played Cumbia del Sol in high in, since high school. I've been playing that song. And they reinvented cumbia, and they do it in a way that's a little bit of the tradition, but in their own stamp. Right. There's a lot of that's a very heavy bass in there. But there's almost like a ska. There is because remember, reggae becomes popular. Reggaeton later. Cumbia is such stylistically, it is structured in a way that it is absorbed very easily. It is. It's a very malleable genre. And so it receives and gives at the same time. So it can receive reggae, it can receive reggaeton, it can re- it can receive uh, you know música tropical or guaracha easily. It can receive the Andean sound. So the pentatonic scale of let's say Andean music, no problem. Chicha comes up. Chicha's born. I'm glad you brought up chicha. Speaking of I chicha, love. Chicha music. And I love the story about how Chicha music is born, you know, with a lot of the oil companies in right. Peru. And you had all these workers going in. And, and, and basically, you know, towns were popping up. Right, in the 60s. In the 60s, right. just because of these oil companies. And then you have these people kind of mingling. In the Amazon, by the way. In the Amazon. So you have these people in the Amazons, in these towns, uh, very working class people mixing with uh, Americans. And and so it's kind of this style that merges cumbia with surf rock and psychedelia because it's also the 60s. Right. I can't imagine. What a trip. And you're in the Amazons. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the, this is one of those uh, musical... This is one of those musical stones that you uncover, and it's like, oh my God! It's like how you would you couldn't even make this up in in fiction, yeah. but in fact it exists. And I did bring in a chicha track. This is from that great label that we love in Spain, Vampisol. Yes. They do such a great job of documenting all kinds of different styles and genres, and they put out not just one but two volumes of of a chicha. And this is a track called Cumbia para un viejito. Cumbia for an old man. Uh, yeah. I played it for uh, Eduardo and I. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So what you're hearing is 
that very definitive 60s style guitar, almost tinny with a lot of reverb, you know, kind of like kind of high sound before all the big crunchy guitars came in. And you're still hearing Eduardo, though, that triplet with the weed on this one. And the conga part is unbelievably simple, but grooves like crazy. It's like just two beats, but it's just... So, so just imagine listening to this in an oil company town in the Amazons in the 60s. Right. But it's interesting to see the, the emergence of the, of the electric lead and rhythm guitars, the, the organ, the synthesizers. Everything becomes electric. And the percussion, percussive element almost becomes very rudimentary here. Very rudimentary. So but it's got a groove, like you say. The thing with Chicha also is I think it then starts the sort of regional cumbia-style music. Like you have Grupo Nectar, for example, from Argentina. So this is the roots of Villera. Right. Right? So so the music, the cumbia that you hear in Chile, in Argentina, in Bolivia, and Peru, almost become hard to distinguish among them because it starts, it develops into this regional style. Explain that term, Villera. Villera, Las Villas are referred to, and Jasmine, correct me if I'm wrong, referred to working class neighborhoods in Buenos Aires primarily, but I would assume they also exist in Rosario, yes. in Cordoba, and some of the other bigger cities in, in Argentina. So La Vi, Las Villas, La Villa refers to working class suburbs or outlaying districts. I would say of almost Central indigent. City. I mean, like shanty towns. Yeah, shanty favelas. towns. And so. The cumbia villera, remember, cumbia is a working class music from its, from its core. So it's not surprising that la cumbia in Argentina is called villera or villera, right? In Argentina, they would pronounce it that way, but it's the same thing. So, you know, it, again, it's testimony to its working class base. You know, and what I love about music in general, but about cumbia, is that you can really trace human 
human movement and migration and stories through through this genre. I mean, what happens with cumbia in Argentina, you know, like you said, it, it comes from Peru because what starts happening in the 90s, there's this huge crisis and there's a lot of immigration to Argentina. There's an enormous, I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood that a lot of Bolivians, a mm -hmm. lot of Peruvians, uh -huh. and they would bring their music. But what happens is, you know, there's an economic boom in Argentina with the privatizations and everything. And at a certain point, everything starts to slowly fall apart. And as stuff s starts to fall apart, you get this massive unemployment, massive w just poverty, you know? And these villas, these shanty towns, these favelas, they start to fill up. Hmm. And so you start getting this music. And what happens with Cumbia Vichera in Argentina is really the closest thing I can think of is like gangster rap. They start talking about things that nobody else talks about. Up until that, in the 90s, you know, some might say still, but unfortunately Argentina has this ongoing delusion, I'm going to get in trouble for this, <laughs> but of, of being a little piece of Europe that broke off. And in the 90s, like, they start to realize we're in trouble like everybody else is right. <laughs> in the continent. And they start to sing about issues like extreme poverty and hunger and 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 robbing and and criminal lifestyles and drugs and stuff that made people really uncomfortable. I remember when I was growing up and still to some point um there was this thing of, you know, why are you talking about that? That's disgusting. Now it's become really more accepted. Mm -hmm. Um but but they were talking about this just like rap was. And this is a cumbia song about a kid who just got uh, released from jail. He's back in the neighborhood. And you'll notice it's it's a very, uh, cumbia vichera is like, it's very slow winding. It's almost like uh, in, in hip hop, uh, the style they call uh, chopped and screwed. This is a song called La Canción de la Yuta by the group Yerba Brava.
Let's move ahead to the present. Let's get to right, right now. Like we said, everybody, you said something very funny, Jasmine, a while back. Said everyone in their deal has a cumbia band these days. <laughs> Not just well, Latinos. it's really big now here. You know? Yeah, you know. Okay, so something that happened to me when I came from Argentina, I had this moment in which I knew I was coming to the U.S. and I was trying to absorb all of my culture. Like in the last week. Uh, you know, the f eating all the food. And I remember listening uh, to cumbia. And at the time, I had the same reaction you did, Felix, to cumbia. It was kind of not my parents' music, but I was just annoyed. You know, you heard it everywhere. It was mm -hmm. shoved down your ears. Any bus you took, any kiosk you went to buy gum at, everywhere. It was cumbia, cumbia, cumbia. And I remember thinking, well, that's a relief. That's music I'll never hear again. <laughs> <laughs> no, go. and then I got really nostalgic for it. I came to the U.S. and I was like, that was really cool music, and it had a lot of history behind it. I should have appreciated it a little more. Okay, so we're going to finish the show with a couple of things. The first thing we're going to do is something I heard this summer at the Latin Alternative Music Conference. We were sitting there talking to people, greeting people, and I heard a, a melody that was familiar, but then it turned into a cumbia. And for those of people who are familiar with pop music will understand, this is Macklemore and Ryan Lewis cumbia size by a guy named Fito Olivares. Oh, <laughs> Fito Olivares. Wow. This is Thrift Shop. Oof. It starts like the original, okay. but listen, it does a little transition that just kills. It just knocked me out the first time I heard it. <laughs> Isn't it? I love this. That sax line gave it away. Yeah. It's a perfect cumbia song, that little alto saxophone part. It's got that sonidero bass line, too. Huge. It's very deep. I like this. I love it. Isn't it great? Me encanta, me encanta. What she know about rocking the wolf on your noggin? What she knowin' about wearing a fur box? Skin, I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm searching right through that luggage. One man's trash, that's another man's come up, come up, come up, come up. It was 99 cents. Cholo's dancing this. <laughs> <laughs> we have to explain that Cholo's are 
How do you know, Wait a minute. There's street people. There's like there's just, street. Is there like, anyone in the U.S. Yet? who doesn't know what un, out here in the, un cholo? Uh, out here on the East Coast, the cholos cholo. just uh, cholos are very Mexican and Chicano. Sorry, um, I guess. Wait, everyone in this studio is from California. Orale. Can we take a moment to appreciate this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can do a little cholo dance. Okay. Another track that I wanted to play was to show how pervasive. How much of an influence Kumbe is on all forms of music. This is from a 1978 album by the jazz bassist Charles Mingus. And the album's called Cumbia and Jazz Fusion. And when you listen to the track, you're going to be able to hear horns replicating the gaitas and the traditional Colombian style. And then there's a, a transition where it becomes a jazz big band. That's Charles Mingus? Charles Mingus. Wow. Wow. You never heard this one? No. It's 28 minutes long. (laughs) No, because it's just this long meditation on cumbia from a jazz perspective. It's They go into the big band swing thing. Which is not so shocking because a lot of those Musica Tropical orchestras were huge like this. Multiple trumpets, multiple saxes, piano. Like I said, this is a 28-minute song. We're not going to play the whole thing. But I, I wanted to give it. you an idea of what it sounds like. Amazing. Charlie Mingus was way ahead of his time. I did not know that. I did not know that song. And to close out the show, we're going to play something that you brought in that I really, really loved, and it's called Scrumbia. So tell us about it, Jasmine. I don't know. I discovered this just goofing around online. And basically what he does is he chops and screws cumbia, and he makes it really slow and syrupy and and thick. And I I just think he's doing something very interesting and kind of fusing those hip-hop elements. This is Royal Highness, and this is Scrumbia. Yes, sir. 
given us so much history of cumbia. Are there any new artists that you're just thrilled by? No. <laughs> no, I'm really not. I'm not really thrilled. I mean, I, this is very f interesting music, and it actually, it's slowed down to in the way that's actually going backwards. Do you know what I mean? In time. Right. Because it's almost like a gaita. It's very slow. Like, we heard Los Gaiteros de San Jacinto. It's at that pace. I love it. I mean, it's from a dance perspective, it goes back. It goes back to the original cumbia step. Eduardo, thank you so much for coming in and, and sharing your knowledge with us and listening to all these cumbia tracks. When we talked ahead of time, we did talk about doing it over beers, but uh, it didn't work out this time, but maybe sometime why? in the future. Because cumbia goes with beer, man. <laughs> no, it's why just, not? Uh, oh, why didn't we why have it not? here? Because our boss is sitting across the glass here in the studio with us. Oh, she NPR. wouldn't have <laughs> I would violate NPR policies and protocols. That's been my pleasure to be here. I love talking about music especially cumbia. Eduardo Diaz is the executive director of the Smithsonian Latino Center here in Washington, D.C. Again, thanks for coming. Appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Remember, you can hear all of these songs in their entirety on our website at npr.org slash altlatino. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter where the conversation never ends. And tell us what cumbias you listen to. Old, new, who's innovating, who are the classics for you. Just let us know. And don't forget to check out our stream 24-7 alt-Latino radio at npr.org slash music. I'm Felix Contreras. And I'm Jasmine Garst. This has been Alt Latino.